lighting the chalice. Today's message follows our April theme of emergence. Much like caterpillars on their way to becoming butterflies, we must nourish ourselves to fully realize what we are trying to create in the world. Enjoy this message from April 15th. If you live in or are visiting the Reading, Pennsylvania area, we hope you'll stop by and visit us on Sundays at 416 Franklin Street. To learn more about our open and welcoming congregation, please visit www.uuburks.org or search for us on Facebook. Indeed, when I change, the world changes. Those words were written by Ma Teresa Gastillo Gallardo. She knows a little bit about change. She is the first lesbian Unitarian Universalist minister in the Philippines. She serves the Unitarian Universalist Church near Manila. She says that we are here to deepen our understanding of ourselves and to feel our personal power and our capacity to affect the lives of other people. Her declaration that when I change, the world changes is a powerful statement. It is not a statement of hubris or of control. It is an expression of the interconnected nature of life. Our Seventh Unitarian Universalist principle affirms and promotes this interconnectedness, this web of existence of which we are all a part. That interdependence assures us, reminds us, and warns us that what any one of us does individually has consequences for all of us collectively. What one individual does or becomes can have a great impact on the whole. In his prayer, Love Beyond God, Adam Lawrence Dyer writes of this connection. You heard his words during our time of sharing joys and sorrows. He says that love reaches beyond, holds one to another and every other to one, no matter the color or where we're from. He says, this is now, this is we, this, this is love. You may have heard this idea of interdependence referred to as the butterfly effect. So have you heard of the butterfly effect? The idea of the butterfly effect emerged from the work of MIT meteorology professor Edward Lorenz. He was using a computer program to simulate weather patterns. He was using variables like temperature and wind speed. And one day, he rounded off one of the numbers being entered into the computer program. That very minute change that he made led to radically different results. That small change transformed the whole pattern that the program produced. And one of Lorenz's conclusions was that the flap of a butterfly's wings could ultimately cause a tornado. He described it by saying this, the extreme sensitivity 
to initial conditions meant that the flapping of a butterfly's wings over the Amazon could influence the weather in China. And this is what became known as the butterfly effect. When one person or one creature changes even slightly, even slightly, an enormous change can occur somewhere else for someone else. Now that is both a liberating idea of the creative power we have and it also speaks to an awesome ethical responsibility. What we do matters. The choices we make matter and not just for ourselves alone. Every day, most of us are making many, many, many decisions, right? We're deciding what to eat, what music to listen to, which activities to participate in, what services we might use, what clothes we're going to buy, which books we're going to read, how we're going to spend our time and our energy. The number of choices is staggering. Just consider a really simple example Seems like maybe it was simple. Just imagine you're going to buy a pair of sneakers. Has anyone bought a pair of sneakers recently? I'm guessing, I'm hoping. Maybe you have a go-to brand, so you know you're always going to go buy that particular brand. Or maybe you look for the best deal you can find, or maybe there are particular qualities that you require in a sneaker. Maybe you want a running shoe or maybe you want a walking shoe. Maybe you need a particular color or a size maybe that's even difficult to find. Maybe you want a fashion statement. Are you going to buy your sneakers online or are you going to go to a store to get them? There's a lot to consider just in buying a pair of sneakers. And there are lots and lots and lots of options. I know because I Googled it. I I figured there would be a lot of brands because I know a fair number of brands, but how many brands do you think there might be out there? 56, I found. Fortunately, someone does the numbers for me. I don't have to count them all up. 56, isn't that incredible? Of course, as I was thinking about these choices that we have and that we make, I had to acknowledge that even when it comes to sneakers, that not everyone has the same opportunities and choices, right? So even if there are 56 brands out there, that doesn't mean that everyone can buy sneakers or can buy the same sneakers. Those with more financial resources or greater access are going to have more of those options available to them. And that disparity is especially unjust when it comes to basic needs like food and shelter and health care and education. And that disparity, that disparity makes our choices all that much more important, much more crucial 
Many years ago, I boycotted Gap. They had exploitative sweatshop practices. Sadly, they aren't the only ones. A few years ago, some people boycotted Chick-fil-A for their anti-GLBTQ stance. I would have joined in that boycott, but I don't eat chicken, and I've never been to a Chick-fil-A. So um, I guess for me, it felt like a missed opportunity of some odd sort. Um, movie buffs. How many of you like movies at home or in the theater? Well, now we have to decide whether we're going to watch movies that have been produced by Harvey Weinstein, who's been accused of sexual harassment and sexual assault, or are we going to boycott all of those? Navigating these decisions, even deciding whether boycotts are effective, is a worthy and a complicated undertaking. The thing is, we are all consumers. We're all consumers in one way or another, and that's the nature of our society, and there's nothing wrong with that. The problem isn't that we consume, and I'm not even suggesting that from time to time we might not want to consume a little bit of junk food, literally and metaphorically speaking. But what interests me is how we can become better consumers of what will nourish us, what will nourish our spirits, our bodies, our minds, and will sustain the planet as well. What interests me is how we can embrace our personal power and our ability to affect the lives of others in positive ways. In the story of the very hungry caterpillar, we see how a steady diet of junk food makes the caterpillar unwell. But what? What makes the caterpillar well? What gives the caterpillar life and spirit and energy? One, one juicy green leaf. One juicy green leaf equips the caterpillar to build a cocoon and ultimately transform into a stunning butterfly. One juicy green leaf offers a powerful antidote. What is your juicy green leaf? What is yours? What kind of fuel will help you become who you want to be? will help you become your best self, will help you be a, a happier and more engaged person who also has the ability to positively impact the world. Well, there probably isn't just one thing. I know there is more than one for me. But there's one I want to talk about this morning that is on my mind right now at this point in my life, and that is education. And Jean talked about education also. And the kind of education I'm referring to is formal academic education. 
I'm a few weeks away from graduating with a Doctor of Ministry degree. Yeah. Woo. I've been fortunate, privileged even, in my life to have been able to engage my love of academic education in both literary studies first and also then in ministry. Not everyone, and I'm really aware of this, not everyone has that option and that opportunity, nor does everyone necessarily want it in quite the way I do. There are sacrifices I have made to do that study. The time and the money spent on coursework and degrees could have been devoted to other projects, to spending more time with family and friends, or just playing, just resting. But being in the academic environment nourishes and inspires me. It's part of what makes me who I am. And those experiences have been key to my ongoing growth and development. Learning in that environment changes and empowers me. It improves my awareness and my concentration. It has broadened and deepened my love and appreciation for diversity. I've had the benefit of studying in racially diverse groups. Groups where whiteness was decentered. I have also had opportunities to be in religiously diverse groups where Unitarian Universalism was on the margins. I find I spend a great deal of my time in Unitarian Universalist circles, which I love, and in which there are common understandings. Being in settings where neither White culture nor liberal religion are at the center has been uncomfortable and challenging. It's been a continuing growing edge, and it has been a great source of learning. Academia has pushed me to read books and authors with whom I disagree. I had a um, very heated disagreement with one of my seminary professors when I was studying for my Master of Divinity degree. Ironically, he was among the more liberal religious professors, so it was perhaps an even more trying disagreement. And the disagreement had to do with him assigning us a book that was written by a climate change denier. And my argument was that by having to buy and read this book, I was supporting this person financially and advancing these ideas, which I did not want to do. And as it was, this was a new book, and the only way to get it was to buy it. And I didn't, I really, I didn't want to buy it. But I also wanted to pass the course and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of one of those grade grubbers. I've got to get, you know the best grade, and so, you know, I had a lot of conflict of values going on. So I, you know, I lost the argument, I bought the book, I read the book, hated the book. Um, 
That was, oh, 17 years ago or so. And I'm still mad about it. <laughs> and, and I'm angrier. I'm angrier still that climate change deniers are still taken seriously. So. <laughs> yeah. So education has improved my critical thinking skills, but it hasn't made me perfect. I can still become quite impatient and angry with perspectives that are antithetical to my own. Perhaps as much as anything, though, what education has done for me is it has helped me reach out in love. It has helped me to share my gifts as a writer and as a minister. It has helped me to do my part to care for this planet. At a recent event at Lancaster Theological Seminary, the uh, president of the seminary, Carol Litch, offered some introductory remarks. And in her remarks, she said something that really caught my attention. She said that one of the ways we love God is with our minds. I'm not sure that I'd ever heard anyone say it quite that way. And for someone who loves education, that was really a, a powerful um, affirmation for me. Now, we may not all express it quite that way, because we have different theologies among us. So another way to say it is that one of the ways that we love life is with our minds. In other words, I think for the sake of loving. I study for the sake of loving. I seek education for the sake, ultimately, of loving better. There's a wise teaching I want to share with you. It's attributed to the Cherokee. And I have a feeling that most of you have heard this before. It's a story of a grandfather and a grandson but I decided this morning it would be the story of a grandfather and a granddaughter. The grandfather is talking to his granddaughter about life. And he tells her this. He says, there's a fight going on inside me. It's a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger Envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. The other wolf is good. That wolf is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. 
The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person, too, he tells his granddaughter. And the granddaughter thinks about this for a few minutes. And then she asks her grandfather, which wolf will win? Which wolf will win, she wants to know. And the grandfather tells her, the wolf that wins is the one you feed. The wolf that wins is the one you feed. Which wolf will we feed? And what will we feed it? Because you can feed it junk food. What will you feed it to make it robust? This month I invite you into reflection about which wolf you are feeding and what you are feeding it. What do you need to nourish your own growth and embrace your power? Is it study? Is it experience? Is it travel? Is it friendship? Is it parenting? Is it spiritual practice? Is it art? Is it sports and physical activity? Is it music? Is it religious community? Is it all of these or something else? As Reverend Gallardo says, we are here to win our power back over our areas of powerlessness. I am here to see that my singular life is a gateway to countless possibilities. One juicy green leaf can win that power back. One life can be a gateway to countless possibilities. A small change can make it possible to become more fully who we want to be and to create more fully the world we long for. When I change, the world changes. When you change, the world changes. When we change, amen, amen. May this spring be a time when we embrace that change, when we embrace possibility and transformation for ourselves and for all of us. May it be so. Amen. And blessed be. Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like a copy of the transcript of this sermon, you can find most week's messages at www.uuburks.org slash sermons. If you have any thoughts or conversation about today's message, we hope you'll take a moment to stop by our Facebook page and share them. And from all of us at First UU Berks, may this chalice light your path and guide your way until you join us again.